welcome back to the Habs Puck Drop Podcast. This is our usual Sunday segment, which is now being done on a Monday uh, due to uh, extenuating circumstances regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll get into that in a second. But just like normal, we're going to review the week that was. We're going to preview the week that's to come, uh, which might not be a week at all. Yeah, might be a little interesting. Um, then, you know, we're going to have to skip over our gambling because we're not really too sure. Yeah, it's going to be just kind of like an amended week Yeah, it's going to be an amended week, but we have a lot of current events coming up, so we're going to really touch base on that. But let's jump right into the review. So March 15th. 4-2 to win against the Winnipeg Jets. You know, a good, uh, what seemed like a convincing win. We had, you know, a goal from Kotkaniemi, assists from Anderson and Druin. Then we had a power play goal from Anderson, from Suzuki and Toffoli. Then Toffoli got an unassisted goal, and Toffoli would get the empty netter from yeah, uh, Edmondson. Price was yeah, exactly. Price was a nine forty four. Um, you know, big game from Toffoli, big game from Anderson as well. He had two points. Um, just in general, you know, it was one of those games where it was it was very seamless. It seemed and yeah, Winnipeg uh, looked like they were off their rock. They did look, and yeah. we also looked like again like we were on. Yeah. It was a, so, it was one of those we had one of those games against um Winnipeg earlier on in the season too where it just looked like we perfect know, storm games. Hell got pulled. It just looked like they were just completely out of it, but yeah. we were also, you know, 10 on 10 all uh all systems go. So Well, that's exactly. It. You know, I found like we were just We couldn't lose to Winnipeg again. No, we like, couldn't. And not just, and not such decisive victories that like yeah. I don't think we could lose it again. Price really stood on his head that game too, yeah. so and then going to March 17th. Yeah, we had a 4-3 overtime loss versus Winnipeg. You know, this was you know, our eighth overtime loss of the season. Like, this yeah. was when it was starting to get a little crazy. Um, you know, as we'll see on March 19th, we had another one. But, you know, eight overtime losses, that's when, like, you really got to start thinking about, um, you know, what's going wrong in overtime. You know, right. for a lot of fans, including us, we've said it numerous times on the podcast, it was a clear fix. It was the starting lineup in overtime, complete trash. Um, but it didn't seem to really get through, um, you know, to coaching staff and, you know, clearly Mark Bergevin either because, you know, he would have said something and have firing, having had fired a coach just recently, you'd think that, you know, this would be one of the reasons yeah, there why. Would, and there would be every move you make is under more scrutiny. Exactly. Especially, so you, gotta... you know, not even just from the GM, but from the media, from the fans, you know, like we forget, or at least we don't forget, but it almost feels as though because there's no fans in the arenas right now that it almost feels like this is a one-off for these for mm-hmm. you know especially for a new coach it's yeah. very hard to kind of you know get into that mindset when there's no fans i'm sure you know there would be some you know in the moment audible reaction from seeing deno and byron go out for an eighth time if you're dom ducharme and i think that you know that that's a big part of it. I find the uh, media in general is very easy on him. Like well, I understand, yeah. you know, like you gotta, he's gotta kind of diffuse into the role a little bit. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like you know, every game here is worth a game and a half, and like yeah. it, you know, it, you have to kind of take that into consideration. Like how many games has he played with us now? Like probably. Uh, oh like man. Ten. Yeah, basically. 10 so it's it's really like realistic. Realistic, it's more like fifteen to twenty. Yeah. I mean, like in terms of the extent to which these well, games yeah, in can terms impact of our postseason yeah yeah so it, you know it, they're significant so you know give them a few game you know a week or two leeway but you know when we're getting on to our eighth and ninth overtime loss like i wish the media kind of stepped it up well a that's bit, it but... you want to see a little bit of pressure because the media really are the voice they're they're kind of the great communicator for the fans right so they they're the ones who do you know i mean we're technically more so in the yeah. middle too like we're we're kind of 
that baton rates of fans that talk to media, that talk to the real media, that talk to the team. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, that's, you know, that's why we want to have interviews with these guys that we don't, I mean, we'll never say no to interviewing a Habs player, but I can see us very much having a uh, Montreal reporter on here that yeah. talks to the team, like a Stu Cowan, for John example, Lou. or John Liu, before we talk to Toffoli directly. Yeah, for And sure. it's, you know, it's, there, there are levels to this stuff, and so... Plus, you know, I, I feel like you can be a bit more candid with those guys. Of you know, course. like I, I'm not going to have, um, you know, I'm not going to have, uh, I don't know, I'm just going to pick on someone random here, but let's say I'm not going to have Jonathan Druin on the podcast and just kind of like rip his game. Yeah, berate him. Like, you know, we, we're the, very yeah. outspoken on certain players. I would still love to talk to Victor Mete. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. In a heartbeat. It's the thing. It's a different kind of, you know, I, and I don't want that to be perceived it's as kind of like cowering. Yeah, you know? it's I mean, like criticism I'm not versus the, critiquing. Yeah, exactly, so... You know, I feel like with the with the media, more or less, you can kind of have more of an open conversation. Whereas with the players, you got to kind of keep it, you know, cordial in a sense. Yes, there's there's no there's no sense in inviting, let's say, Shea Weber on to talk about how slow he is. Well, yeah, Shea Weber doesn't have to speak to exactly. us. Like we're he, nobody. Exactly. He can just, you know, he doesn't have to come on the show just to get yelled at. But that's, well, that's exactly it. He's a, it's like there's a reason it's called guest. Exactly. Or invite. And the, so, I mean, look, to, to go with what we just said, to give a little bit of credit to Dom Ducharme, one big change that we saw over this week was he put together the Corsi stars mm. of uh, Tatardano and Gallagher, yeah. and it really showed off, which we will get into. But this was the first game where it was noticeable. You know, we had um, a goal from Dano from Gallagher and Tatar. Then we had a goal from Gallagher from Dano. Then we had a goal from Toffoli from Druin and Perry. And that would be, you know, all the goal scoring. Price would be an 867 that night. But you could see that, you know, half the scoring, a little more actually, much more than half actually God, price had a real fucking stinker this week yeah he he was all Oof. over the place this I, week i specifically remember that march 17th though wasn't him no I that was one of those where it was we like, weren't clearing the net yeah these pucks were flying in from the point with like getting five people in front of them that's yeah. the thing and like it, it's that's why save percentage can be misleading mm -hmm. but yeah you know what uh that line really stood on its head and is what brought us that extra point in overtime because without them we only have one goal yeah now, um, going on to March 19th, uh, another overtime loss. That would be our ninth in a row. Um, this was against... This was the last straw, basically. This is where yeah. you saw, you know, you saw old Rob rage on the podcast <laughs> a little bit. You know, that was like one of my most sleepless nights. Yeah. That was just... I have a problem with... I also... Uh, yeah, sorry. I just, I just have to clear it. It's... When we say sleepless nights, I think people get the impression that like we sit there like like muttering to ourselves like <laughs> it's like no no it's I'm I'm up on like like cap friendly and I'm up on like Instagram and the score like like reading chats yeah. because I'm trying to see what other people when, think. When we when 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 there's insanity like this, I tend to catastrophize. Uh, so like what I do is I end up just scrapping the whole team and rebuilding. Yeah. So that that's an issue there too. But obviously, you know, you wake up the next morning a little more level headed, but. I have a sleep. problem yeah, unless you didn't <laughs> sleep, but there's a problem with, you know, that I find it in pure insanity in the sense that, you know, you repeat this looking for a different result against, and then it goes further, okay, against the same teams, yeah. okay, that's another thing that's new this season, okay, we're we're running the same lines in overtime, uh, in overtime that we're losing, and then repeating it against the same lineup again, yeah, but then also, um, you know, in a in a in the context of like sports. It's even worse because you have so many people telling you no. 
Well, that's you know, it. where it's not like you're just alone in your head. Like this guy has everybody yelling at him to not do this, and he just keeps doing it. Well, it's like, and and that's what I mean when I was talking about the fans thing is that I think you know if if you're Dom Ducharme and you go into the twenty one thousand like full capacity Bell Center. And you put out that same overtime line and the entire place erupts with a boo. You know for a fact that they're not booing the players. Mm. Because we love Paul Byron. We love Philip Deneau. We yeah. love Jeff Petrie. Well, everything we, in context. Yeah. Exactly. It's like when people get upset that like we're booing like Carey Price. It's not that we're booing Carey Price. It's that we, we have a standard that we set for him. And we know he can do better. We're getting pissed at the fact that he seems to not get pissed. Yeah. And this is like we're well, talking not three, four sentences. years. Exactly. And it's, it's you know, it, it's the same. It's if, sentiments, if I, if not I, sentences. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If I boo Shea Weber because I see him come out for the shootout. Yeah. Okay. It's not that I hate, hate Shea Weber. It's just he's he has his strengths in context. And, you know, Philip Dano's strength is not in overtime. You know, it's well, just there you not. Go. And, like, you know, he, he's a very valuable player, and I love him, and I really don't want to lose him. And I can see him being the captain in a few years. But, you know, his strength isn't free. Like, it's no, just not. it's not. Like That's fine. The, and, and people seem to not understand, like, you don't need your captain to be your first-line center either. There have been captains throughout the NHL in, like, recent years. Not I'm not talking about, like, the 80s, 90s, 2000s. I'm talking, like, the 2010s, and to say, like, the, the latest that your, your captain has played in your bottom six. Your captain has been your third-pair defenseman, you know? Um, I'm trying to think, like, off the top of my head, but, like, Andy Green, when he was in... Uh, before he was in New York, he was in uh, New Jersey. Guy was playing third-pair. Yeah. You had... Um, there was another There's one on the so tip of my tongue. That, to oh, of Jordan Stahl, Jordan Stahl in Carolina was playing third-line center as the captain. Yeah. It's because you're a leader and you're, you're... Eric Stahl, yeah. That's... Yeah. Oh no, I meant I literally meant Jordan. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I know. oh Stahl yeah, no, well. Eric yeah. Stahl too. That's yeah. true. And yeah, his, when he was like you know back in Carolina, like he when he was on his tail end there, yeah, he was like playing second and third line. Well, there you go. It was he um, wasn't the top guy every every time, even though that's like debatable. He was, yeah. <laughs> he's, I don't know why that yeah. guy's not, but you know what I mean. It's yeah, like there's there's times where these guys are just their role is to be a leader. Yeah, you know, Paul Byron is an assistant captain playing on a fourth line. Mm. Because he's a motor, like you know, and whether or not you agree with him getting the assistant captain is not really the point. Yeah, and especially so, on a team like us that yeah. run, is going to run four lines for basically the next five years. Well, there you right? go. It's like that's it. Yeah, and I mean, so yeah, just looking and at that, Dano will just be the veteran center exactly right? if like, he's willing to take that role. That's yeah. what this whole like Dano can con- like. Yeah. Uh, well, what word am I like? Not controversy. Uh, yeah. controversy yeah. i guess yeah. yeah is like that's what this whole thing is about is that you know i'd be willing to pay him a little bit more if he was like well yeah of course i'm the selkie shutdown guy i'll be the third center in a year well we're basically offering him a role that will secure himself in the habs hall of fame basically and like it seems like you know earlier on the season he didn't want that role but i think you know judging by the way they've re- responded and reacted uh, in terms of, you know, especially that line being yeah. separated and brought back together, I think he's kind of fell, fallen into that that position that he actually, he's going to take it. I think, like, he realized yeah. that, you know, maybe he was, a lot of this, too, is their agent, right? I mean, like, a, you know. Well, that's the thing. I, I'm so tired just, of NHL it's, it's agents. Tough. It, it's tough when you have, you know, you're a, he's a young guy, okay? Yeah, like, that's the 27. Thing. You know, with these sports, especially hockey and, um, you know, other team sports, you know, it's different in, in like, you know, single sports like, like tennis or like powerlifting mm-hmm. or like Olymp- Olympic weightlifting, where like you peak at like thirty three, thirty four. Yeah. But you know, 
a middle-aged guy in this league is like 27. Well, that's you know, the thing. Like, is like, like very, I, I believe the exact, like the actual research stats is that the the midpoint for forwards is 28. Yeah. And the midpoint for defensemen is 29. So like think about how young that is. You're talking about a 20-year-old who's basically, you know, being told he's a vet and he needs to embrace that role. But then yeah. you have his agent being like, no, no, you're an offensive powerhouse. You could make yeah. three more mil a year. The, the big you know, issue... Like he's still a 20-year-old. Well, that's you know, it. The, the big issue that I take also with agents is they typically represent multiple players, not even on the same team, and some on the same team. Mm-hmm. So you'll get an agent that will represent, let's say, like Phil Dunneau, Charles Houdon, um, I'm making it up on the spot, Taylor Hall, and uh, Oliver ekman Larson. Like they, they Obviously, they don't all have the same agent, but for this argument, it's like... Yeah, and then this guy's brokering deals with different teams, and he's basically got these numbers in his head going. You don't, like, it, it does impact. Like, you shouldn't be able to, like, I, I as an agent shouldn't be able to negotiate the contract of two players on two separate teams and a player on Team A. It's yeah. just, it, there's just too many moving pieces that I almost feel like, they just start saying like, yeah, I'm gonna get my players the most money possible because that's my job, which it yeah. is. But they don't really take like the hockey into yeah, account. Yeah, but the other thing too, like separating the nodes, like the nodes being different players that yeah. this guy represents. There's still major conflict of interest in the sense that it's obviously commission based, right? Oh well, yeah, of course. So it's he gets a percentage of the contract, kind of like a like a portfolio manager mm-hmm. or something like that. So like, there's incentive to get you more money so the portfolio manager makes yeah. more money, and there's more. Uh, incentive to get you a big contract so that guy gets a bigger contract like a real estate agent but the problem is though in these sports is that you also run the risk of ruining the relationship between the organization and the player well that's it you you guys saw like how quickly the fans turned on philip dano like this was philip dano's decision yeah you know where like a lot of this is his agent driving basically a playing hard to get so that he can get more money yeah whereas you know philip dano might not you know, really care all that much and want to stay in Montreal, but his agent is saying like, no, no, you're being taken advantage of. When in reality, the agent's saying like, no, I can milk this guy for yeah. a few more hundred thousand. And, and in that, that's where you have to kind of ask yourself like, do I want this agent? That's on the player. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a, again, it's, it's all these relationships that like, you know, when Bergevin fired Claude Julien, like he said, it was hard for him because they're friends, mm-hmm. but it's a business. Yeah. So... There's a lot of moving pieces, and that's kind of what I was, like, rambling about in terms of that with, like, saying player A and player B. It's more just along the lines of, like, there's so much going on that it it really is unfortunate that, you know, maybe, and there's not that many agents to go around, but basically I think every player should have an agent, and it shouldn't be another player's agent. Mm -hmm. There should be individual agents, and, you know, maybe that's some kind of business model that, you know, you and I will develop in the next few years. I just, the only thing, like, I can see the agent saying is, like, how unprofitable that's going to be, right? Exactly. Like, I don't know if they, the only way that could work is if every agent's representing McDavid. Well, that, and and that's exactly it. It's kind of like, that's why they represent, you know, many different players. Like, if you, if you represent a a Victor Mete, you know, you might be taking in, like, 40,000 a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how worth it is to get into that profession. Well, that's exactly it. But if you have, you know, 10 Victor Mete's and all of a sudden you're making like two, 300,000. Well, yeah, no, and that's the exact, that's the business model, right? So it's like that, but that's where, yeah, you have to figure it out. But basically, yeah, the the one thing I want to talk about with the March 19th game is we had, like we said, a 3-2 overtime loss with the same bad lines. Allen was in net with a rare sub 900 game at an 893, which again, didn't feel like he played poorly. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Perry had a power play very goal. Very similar game to Price. Very, very it was similar. Just like goals that were just like guys clear the net. Like that was, 
these were goals on both games on the 17th and the 19th that were basically like us missing Sherlock. Yeah, that the, the, well, that's it. exactly it. And so Perry had a goal from Tatar and Petrie, and then Suzuki had a goal from Petrie, both on the power play. And that's something I wanted to just mention. Um, three, you know, we had four power play goals in four games. Three of the games we had power plays yeah, in. Yeah, Burroughs is breaking out. It's really, that's a, that's a very big bright spot, and it's something that's a very important. It's also who's scoring, and I know that's kind of, like, silly to say, but, like, there was a point where, like, it was either Shea Weber or it was nothing. Yeah. But if you look at who's scoring on the power play, Josh Anderson, Nick Suzuki, Corey Perry, uh, Nick Suzuki again. We got assists from... Uh, to Foley, we got an assist from Petrie, we got an assist from Tatar, Druin, Weber, like, yeah. everyone's getting involved now. Well, it's frustrating when, like, basically our power play percentage, especially last year, was basically tracking with Weber's shooting percentage. Yeah, no, like, essentially. It was, like, it was plus or minus 3%. Yeah. And it was, like, like more likely plus, but, you know, if he's shooting 13%, our power play 16%. It's yeah, like, well, that's, that's you know, exactly it, and, like, that was the it's issue. It's also just, it's just overly predictable. Like, it's yeah, just, and it's it was brutal. also, you know, if, it's if like you if, have one trigger man in general... Well, it's like just, on Washington. Like, yeah. the thing is, is, like, you know, before they had, you know, they've always had, but before they had, like, real guns to play alongside mm-hmm. Ovechkin, like, the goalie might as well just sit on the right side of the... Of the, of the of the crease and right. just look at the, the, the only, left corner yeah the only issue with that though is somehow it still went in with him like yeah, he's, exactly, yeah that's the he's difference different between player, an elite obviously. player but and a now if you look talent. at their power play i mean like you got well, carlson you got ovechkin like they, you know that's the way you have to play it even well, if you have these stars i mean you know he'll bring that if it's just him shooting versus shea weber obviously he'll still score more mm-hmm. but you have to you know fake these guys out a little bit well that that's it it, right it's like predictable and it's overly predictable and it's also i like what the habs are doing this is something i've noticed is we do have this kind of static umbrella power play that that's we'll call like the shea weber one right Mm -hmm. that's the one where weber lines up on on his like top of the circle area we've got someone in front of the net we've got someone on the other side and like basically they have their spots and they don't really move more than you know a few feet either way and then you have the petrie one which is basically constantly moving, which it's had a lot of success. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is I almost feel as though having those two power plays that are so different from each other, may it benefits both because if the Weber one comes out first and doesn't score, now they've been playing for a few you know seconds against a very static thing and they're, they're not exactly moving, then all of a sudden you have these fresh legs yeah. that come out or it's the opposite where you have these guys moving and moving and moving, and then all of a sudden it slows the game down, and that's kind of like a change-up in baseball, where it's like you're anticipating so much movement that you're over-committing. So for someone like Druin, who can make a fake pass, you have someone diving across because they think you're going to be shifting, mm-hmm. but he just stands there. Well, that's the thing, you know. It's like, you know, obviously Kirk Muller, and I'm not inferring this by any means, but, you know, he's not a lazy coach, but, you know, these are kind of lazy maneuvers in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, I have one way of doing things. No matter who, no matter what players I have, no matter what roster I have, I'm going to kind of squeeze a, you know, a, a circular peg into a square mm-hmm. and it's going to have to work because that's all I know. And there's kind of like an unwillingness to learn that I don't see with Burroughs. Like Burroughs, you know, he looks at the group of guys that are realistically going to be on the power play because you can easily figure that out. Exactly. And then you look at those guys and you say, how are these pieces going to move in the offensive zone? And, you know, you look at a guy like Weber, he's not going to be on the mobile power play. Like, he's no. just not. And and that's... If you look at a guy like Petrie, you know what I mean? Perfect. Like, he's definitely yeah. on the mobile power play. And if you if you actually put a circular peg in a circular hole, like, good things happen. It goes and through. Like, we're, exactly. we're clearly seeing that. 
And, and I think that's a really important point to touch on too, is that you can really see the difference because, you know, we used to talk about how there are certain players that are role players that are meant for, let's say, just the penalty killer, just the power play. Mm-hmm. And we don't see that anymore because, for example, we used to have Jordan Wheel on our power play because he fit in that yeah. style better than, let's say, Gallagher. Yeah, he's having a year but the log- Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, the, the loud rocket looked good. Yeah. Um, but the idea is, like, you want Gallagher out there, so you don't change the player to fit the system. You change the system to fit the player. Exactly. Like, you have to work with the tools you yeah. have. And so I think that's a really good point you made there, that it's kind of he's evaluating the players, not yeah. the, the play style. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, you need... 10 guys to play on this power play I mean, yeah. realistically and, and you, you know, can get you, away with seven yeah you can get away with seven and they, you know that's obviously easier on teams like edmonton or something like that exactly. or like really you know you're gonna have mcdavid and dry cycle yeah there, for two minutes they can on a play. team as deep as us like you got a lot of options you of know course. And like it's just you have to make five of those options fit together at a time exactly so you you know it's uh it's good to see he's panning out like crazy i mean uh you know but, you know, going into overtime there, you know, a lot of people were questioning. I saw this guy comment on the, uh, the Canadian Facebook page, but do you know what Paul Byron's shootout career percentage is? No, what is it? 50%. Oh, shit. He's one of the top in the league. Well, there you go. Yeah. I, I, but again, I mean, like, I mean, he's he's crapping overtime. Yeah. So and, and, here's, and here's my other question. Shootout. How many shots has he taken? Because, like, Corey, Corey Perry was about 30%, but I feel like he's taken 400 more shots than Byron. Yeah, exactly. But... Um, yeah, while you're looking up, I'm just going to jump into the March 20th game. Um, you know, that was a 5-4 shootout win before I even against Vancouver. Before I even go into it, that's our third overtime game in a row. Yeah. So these games are all close. Like, everyone predicted the Canadian division is going to be tight. Um, Very tight. Ed- yeah. Edmonton's now tied with uh, Toronto. There you go. Obviously, they've played a few more games. I think, like, yeah. So Paul Byron's... Um, Paul Byron's taken nineteen, uh, t- uh, taken twenty-seven uh, shootouts. Okay. And he's scored nineteen. Well, there you go. That's yeah. amazing. Now, just just for like argument's sake, I want to see uh, how many Corey Perry. So that's not that's that's seventy percent. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Cor- and uh, you know what? Do you mind just finding Corey Perry while yeah. I just go through the goals here? So we had a goal from Suzuki on the power play from Weber and. Uh, Druin that essentially mirrored his goal on the power play from the night before. We had a goal from Tatar assisted by Dano and Mete. Then we had a goal from Edmondson from Weber and Tatar and then a goal from Gallagher from Dano. Price was a 778 in that game which was not good but he went 5 for 6 in the shootout which you know ended with a win with a you know Thomas Tatar highlight goal in mm-hmm. the shootout. But, um, you know, one thing you and I noticed a lot in that shootout is that two of our four shooters actually missed the net in the first four yeah, rounds. that was very frustrating. That was very, like, these are the little things that it's like, you know what, get the guys who, yeah, maybe will go in and maybe not have the softest hands every time, but just they will score goals if they're on a breakaway. You know, I, I see someone like Bo Horvat, he comes in, he makes no moves, and he just takes hard wrist shots from the slot. And most of the time it goes in. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was finally nice to break, you know, the shootout slash overtime curse and the reverse retro curse. Yeah. You know, two birds, yeah. one stone, two negatives make a positive. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I think the biggest thing from this week alone is we said six of eight points, and we got exactly six of eight points. Yeah. It was misleading. I I, I seem to find the Corey Perry. That's okay, honestly. But we know it's about 30%, but I'm assuming he's taken more than 27 shots. Yeah. So it's still, it's incredible on Paul Byron. I didn't think he shot more than 20, so I'm already, I'm sold on that. But it's just, uh, you know, he's got to do whatever that was that worked. He has to do it. (laughs) Apparently the... uh highest current players are Timmy Panarin. Really? I'm yeah. surprised. 74. Wow. Yeah, but uh, the top 10 are all clustered around that. Okay. Around there. Barkov's got to be in there somewhere. Barkov. It might he might not be purely based on the fact that they uh, stride it based on minimum 15 shots. Oh, okay, so, maybe he isn't shot enough. Yeah. Auto but, Darius, he's oh. um 45%. Okay. There you go. And but yeah, so basically, um yeah, we got six of eight points and it just was a very misleading six of eight because we lost two games in a row. Dougie so Hamilton's good. Dougie Hamilton? Sixty. Oh. He's that's 12 weird. shots. Oh, that's not yeah. bad then. But yeah, yeah. basically we it, we lost two games in a row, but we still came up with six points. It was a very important week and it was apparently more important than we thought. Um do you want to do last week's gambling first before we get into the coming week? Yeah, sure. So uh, on the 15th there against Winnipeg, we took the W, which we got. So we were right there. Um, moving on to the 17th, again against Winnipeg. That's the one we lost 4-3 in overtime. Uh, we took the under, but obviously that's uh, seven goals total, so we didn't get that one. Uh, moving to March 19th, that's the game against uh, Vancouver. We lost 3-2 in overtime. Uh, we took the win there, so we were close. Um, and then moving to March 20th, we took the W, um, and we won 5-4 in a shootout against Vancouver. So on the week, we were 2-4. for four. Um, And the mindset being six points. That was a, that was why those picks were made. So yeah, exactly. It was kind it, of, we worked backwards a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so then let's just talk about this week a little bit. So, uh, or actually even before that, there's one, no, we'll talk about this week coming up actually. So we've got a three-game series against Edmonton. Uh, March 22nd, 24th, and 26th. Um, we've been informed now that there's going to be players on the uh, COVID protocol list. Yeah, quite a few. So. Um, I know they've mentioned Kot Kaniemi. I don't know how many others. Yeah. It's the first North Division uh, postponing. So mm-hmm. this might trickle down You know, we against teams we've played. We'll see. It's unfortunate. I don't know what happened. But uh, it is what it is, so we don't know when the games will come back. If we do get a sense that there's going to be kind of a bigger gap, I'm sure we'll put out some bonus episodes. Yeah, and but... as soon as we you know, hear when these games are postponed too, if, if they do indeed push them just a few days, and let's say we have we get one or two games this week, then we'll you know post a second podcast kind of giving our gambling picks. Yeah, but, exactly. Well, know, we'll I, talk I, about it during a Between the Whistles Yeah, or I seriously doubt it's going to be this week, though. That would be a little yeah. weird. So. That would be very so. Yeah, obviously no gambling picks as of right now, um, and then just basically jumping into just the current events, kind of tied to this week. Uh, Toffoli was set to miss the entire Edmonton series, yeah. so we may have dodged a bullet yeah, there a little huge, bit. Huge bullet, especially against a you know a team that's having a rock solid goaltending in Mike Smith. So yeah, I don't understand that. Who would have guessed that? I mean, nobody. He's on absolute fire, this guy. But um, you know, it, you know, in, it doesn't feel like it, but. <laughs> You know, we're done our series against Vancouver already. Yeah, so that that was actually something I want to talk about. Um, you know, our, our record against Vancouver is very strong. Yeah, 6-0-2. So we got points in every single game against them, which yeah. is big. I think that's 14 out of 16 possible points. Yeah. 
Um, I wish we applied that, you know, to yeah. everyone. Um, a couple more congratulations actually are due. We've got Carey Price hit his 700 game milestone, and Jake Allen hit his 300 game milestone. Now, I found that interesting too because Price and Allen are not that different in age, but it just goes to show you how much we leaned on Carey Price. Mm, yeah. Because Jake Allen is, I believe, only two years younger than Carey. Yeah. So that's at a very maximum if they played the same amount of time. Hundred and something games, but carries four hundred ahead. Yeah. So we've yeah we've basically we've, run this guy. Yeah. The ground. So it's... for all the fatigue, you know, naysayers, like there's that's a good look at why. Yeah. Um. You know, we're we're also we're getting news. It's nothing confirmed yet, but there's the potential for Montreal to join the WNHL, which that's going to be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting because it you know it seems like a lot of these uh, a lot of these women are are being pumped out of Concordia and McGill. Yeah, um, that's true. So both Concordia and McGill are very strong women's hockey teams. So, um, you know, that would make sense and kind of, you know, sort of like a, you know, the Alouettes sort of taking advantage of the, you know, Université de Laval and yeah. EAM well, uh, that's football it. teams. So, you know, it makes sense for them. And, you know, and, and I think it's success. good for the, the WNHL because, you know, if you're trying to promote you know, in a sport, especially let's say like like hockey, and you're trying to get women's hockey, like we're better than French Canada. You yeah. know, it's like it's like when we talk about bringing a team back to Quebec, it's it's there's no reason not to have a team in Quebec City. Well, yeah, even look at you look at the AHL uh, games. I went to a Laval Rocket game last year, completely packed. Yeah. Like so, you know, they go to people watch it here in Quebec at all levels. It's religious. Hockey is yeah. religious here. There's so, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, and another thing with the WNHL is like, I'm glad they're going to bigger cities because like when you start these leagues and you start going to like nowhere towns, it's like no one wants to go there for well, this like gamble. Well, looks like Yeah. No, like. Yeah. But no, we have Toronto. We have Hamilton. We have. We'll have Montreal. Yeah. I forget. I'm gonna actually look for where the cities are, but like they they did it right basically. Yeah. But, like, you know, at one point they were talking about, like, Trois-Rivières or whatever. Well, that's, like, that's it, like, yeah. You it's... know, it's a nice place, but, like, no one wants to move there. You know what well, I mean? that's like, it, exactly. So, like, you know, starting a team in Montreal, it's very low risk. I mean, like, you have people here who will, who will want to play and, like, you know, already live in Montreal. It's like, well, great, I'll just drive down the street. But, exactly. you know, so when, we... you, when you start talking about, like, a major move for a league that might not be around next year, it's kind of risky. Well, that's it, you know, and it's, it's a good mix. We've got uh, a team in Boston, a team in Buffalo. There's a team representing all of Connecticut, so they're technically like located in Danbury. Um, they've got a team that's called the Metropolitan Area, but it's really it's New Jersey, um, a Minnesota team and a Toronto team, and like we said, there's rumors of a Montreal team. So they're they're really going to cities one where hockey's big. You know, if you're looking like, you know, Buffalo's not exactly like a big anything, yeah. anything but they they have hockey there and they know it. So I mean I I the way Buffalo's playing I might let them rep you know rep Buffalo <laughs> in the NHL, uh but yeah there's that's basically like the you know best of luck to it and like I hope you know it does become something because yeah. we we do know that it is very difficult in terms of like women's sports and everything there oh, yeah. is a lot of uh, you know uh, hoops to jump through and a yeah. lot of just marketing that needs to be done. Yeah, because you know they're they. You know, they talk about like the the physiological difference mm. and how, you know, it's just going to be a higher level with men. But at the same time, like, what do you want them to do? I mean, like, well, exactly. Gonna, and I'm hoping they do something they love. And you know, some of these women are incredible athletes. So yeah, at least I'm, I'm hoping they can get some themselves. ambassadors from the Olympics because women's hockey kind of comes alive during the Winter yeah. Olympics. You know, the U.S. Canada rivalry is big, and I also think it'll be good for, um, you know, women in Europe because. Yeah. 
I'm sure it's it's going to be a big move because I don't really know much about women's leagues in Europe. And I think that'll really, really, really help. I mean, right now, no one can really travel anywhere safely, yeah. but, you know. It'd be cool, yeah, if we get a lot of players coming in from Europe. That'd be, well, that, yeah, that's yeah. it. And we'll see kind of how that translates. And, uh, yeah, that's basically all I want to say about that. But, um, yeah, it's it's gonna it's definitely going to be a shorter one today because we just yeah, we lost, our, like... Uh, starting lineup. Yeah, we just we lost a big chunk of discussion based yeah, I mean, off like, of... We have no preview. We have no gambling. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. It's already, uh, you know, pretty tough. But, you know, we're definitely in for a, a tough series with Edmonton. I yeah. mean, these are really big games for them, and these are really big games for us. And, uh, you know, this could very well decide, you know, where we're placing. Yeah. Um, just with, you know, the schedule we have coming up, it's no joke. Like, you know, we, we don't have, you know, obviously any more Vancouver's to play. We have very few Ottawa's. Uh, a lot of these games are Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, so Calgary. So uh, big, big games coming up. But let's jump into the starting lineup this week. Yeah, so I, I have to just say the forwards as a unit because yeah, exactly, yeah. with nine points in, combined in four games, Tatar, Dano, and Gallagher, yeah. it's like I, so many... You know what? There's a lot of players that played well. Suzuki really came into his own again. He kind of, you know... Yeah, that shot. And I hope yeah. they pursue just that. Just leave him on that yeah. side. Uh, Toffoli, before the injury, had three goals in two games. Um and a couple of assists, you know, yeah, Petri, oh, Petri's a defenseman, that's how many points he puts up, I yeah. just call him a forward, um, but, you know, Perry played well, uh, everyone was playing well, yeah. but that line was just such a standout, like, the, in, in a good way, they stuck out like a sore thumb. It's the intangibles, too, with them, it's like, you know, they, as soon as they're on the ice, you, you can tell, like, they have fun together, and, like, uh, you know, it's a bit more than that, obviously, but they just, they drive the... They drive the energy of the game, well, and like it. It, it, it's almost like tragic to see when they're split up. It's like, well, that's it. You know, you see all of them suffer. Like it's just, it's brutal. That's exactly. They they work best when they're together, and then you know having them together is also beneficial because you can put other players together. Mm-hmm. So I I think it just worked. You know, I I think trying to kind of replace Deno with Suzuki, for example, on paper makes sense. Yeah. But Suzuki shouldn't be playing there. He should be playing with someone else. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, it has to be Tatar, Dano, and Gallagher. I mean, yeah. if we're really going to break down their stats one by one, I mean, I'm, I'm counting right here, but Dano had one, two, uh, three points in four games. Tatar then had one, two, three points in four games, and Gallagher had one, uh, two, three points in four. Yeah, so like, you know, nine points in four game in four games, and they each got three. Like yeah, it's it's crazy. so evenly distributed. Yeah, um, yeah, good on them. But jumping into the defense. Yeah, uh, you take it. Yeah, so like you said, Jeff Petrie. I mean, like just on another level again this week. Um, you know, intangibles too. He looked defensively solid. You know, playing with a bunch of different guys too. Kulak. Um, you know, it, it's just it goes to show how great this guy is mm-hmm. and how much of a season he's having and just a lot less variability this week than previous weeks and put up some points which put is up nice. a ton of points less yeah. goals than uh he's what used to even i think at. two yeah two points in four games so you know great great uh, great play from him and then um the other guy is going to be and uh, oh i'm sorry i have to mention for petrie about 1400 posts yeah he had a lot of <laughs> that's yeah, why the points are only at two yeah. out of uh, four games he probably had about three posts over four games yeah and then uh, we got Joel Edmondson. So he, you know, cool to see him score. Yeah. A really big know. blast from the point. Yeah, and it was like a wrist shot. It was like yeah. just a hard wrist shot. It yeah, was really, weird. Really I thought it was, shot. I didn't think it was him. Yeah, no, I thought it was Weber. Yeah. yeah. But 
and I saw 44. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. He put up, a, a you know, two points in four games, which is, you know, it's it's noticeable with him because he's not a big point scorer. But I, I also think it's worth mentioning that, like, we clearly struggled for a few games there finding who's going to play with Shea Weber. Yeah. And, you know, I know the analysts on TV said, like, he's not the fit there, and, like, nobody said he was. Yeah. This he's is just like he's stepping there. up. He was meant for, again, he was meant to play with Jeff Petrie. That's when they're at their best. So you got to adapt, you know. It's like, with, uh... Yeah, with Sherrod Hurt, the answer was not Romanov. We also we just don't have a guy to replace Sherrod. Exactly. The There's no one on the team that can replace him. Exactly, but the closest... The closest thing's Kale Fleury. Yeah. I'd say, yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm not, not playing Kale no. Fleury up there. He hasn't been playing in the NHL, barely played in the NHL, wrong side. Yeah, everything. it's just, just not happening. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Joel Edmondson's really stepped up. He's, you know, he's stayed defensively sound. I think the he's... Plus 24 or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, he is getting in the offense a little, and I think... He's a good band-aid for the moment, but that actually I want to talk to you just because we do have a you know a little bit shorter. We'll get into this a little. So, um, very quickly, the trade deadline's coming up. I think it's April twelfth. Um, like, what's your approach? Because we've talked about it a few times, but um, you know, having a band-aid, let's say like Edmondson, knowing Sherratt's out for basically the rest of yeah, the season do you go out and do you get a defenseman or looking at you know we let in two goals then we let in four then we let in three then we let in four we're not having massive goal nights and you know it's the games are all very close you know three or four games in overtime we've gone to overtime 10 times this year so do, do you think the defense is the issue is it worth going out and let's say paying what it costs to get Ekholm? yeah i it's kind of tough because you know, there's clearly not a huge issue defensively, like you're saying. Um, I think it's more inconsistency with our energy on the ice and, like, you know, Bergevin attitude sort of mm-hmm. thing. But at the same time, like, you know, we're at a point where we have to make those moves to make a run. And, um, you know, it's definitely not offensive. I mean, like, obviously Taylor Hall, you know, replacing well, that- Druin would be fantastic. But I, I realistically don't think that's as reasonable. Um, the place where we could you know, definitely realistically use improvement is on, on the defensive side. Okay, so that's um, what I was going to ask is, do you think that's where, the, that's kind of what I was alluding to is, do you think that is where the team needs improving? Just based off of... Well, I think we need to get more robustness down there. I, I don't think we need to improve per se, but I think we need to be able to replace players better than we are now because, you know, we have one domino go down, like the whole D falls down. And then although like we haven't been letting in a ton of goals, there's like other aspects to the game there you know like there's um um you know we're, we're suffering on our breakout we're suffering on clearing the net um and you know i'm worried about like if a edmondson goes down or something like right that. and that, see that's an interesting perspective because basically the way i look at it is that you know we've been more than okay and just having our lines so shift around for an offense. I, I would say the biggest issue for the Canadians is, and we've talked about it a bunch, is their inconsistency offensively. And so for me, knowing that, you know, our defense has been relatively static, it's obviously, it's it's hurting right now. Mm-hmm. There's there's no doubt about it, but it has been static. But what's your, sense. what's your, you know, it, let's say we go get a haul, mm-hmm. okay, instead of a neck home or anything like that. Um, what's your fix defensively? Well, that, that's what I mean is I keep Edmondson with Petrie with that. I, I go. Yeah. So basically if we start seeing, you know, approaching the trade deadline that our, our, you know, last 10 games or last 15 games, our goals allowed has gone way up, then it's different. 
but so far it doesn't really look like our goals yeah. allowed has gone you know significantly higher however i think if you look at a chart of the goals we score it's like yeah, it's up and down way up here way down there way you know because i'm looking at these games especially like um you know this this week was a little bit higher scoring in general but you know how many games have we you know either lost like 2-1 or 3-2 especially in overtime where it's just like you know what maybe if you just have that guy obviously I'm not saying this one specifically, but if you have the Sidney Crosby's, if you have the McDavid's, where you just know it's at the very least you're getting an assist every night out of this guy. Yeah. You, you know, and, and there are players to target. Obviously, Taylor Hall's the big name. Um, I think he's a no harm, no foul type because he doesn't have an extension. Yeah, he's not gonna he's actually not gonna command very much. No, I, I still think our mock trade for him is more than reasonable. Yeah. But there are other forwards, I mean, available and I'm sure there the are other teams... thing too is with Taylor Hall is like, you know, obviously his point production and everything, but you know, I don't I couldn't find a team in the league that suits him more. Right, exactly. You know, like him playing with Anderson and Suzuki was that like, would that's be like a literally very good line. perfect fit. Yeah. Like the speed the speed up our wings on that line would be insane. It, well, that's exactly it. And, like, I think that would just, you know, finally give him a home to mm. kind of, like, you know, really, like, foster his style. And imagine we bring Caulfield up. Well, that's it. We don't know what's going to be happening with that's why Caulfield I, That's either. why I'm hesitant on anything moving offensively is just because we know Caulfield's coming up. Right. And, and I have no problem with that. However, are you going to throw Caulfield in the top six the minute he gets here? Oh, it's tough. It's a hard decision, right? I just, that's I, the issue. It's hard to tell, but I had a sneaking feeling that he's not the type of player that's going to develop in the bottom six. Like, oh, I the, agree. Yeah, because the, the the fact that he's that small, you know, and putting him in 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 the in the situation of him getting bullied by the bottom six guys, like, I don't really see the point. Like, the, the guy's not going to grow by hitting him. You know. It's well, like, no, but but that's exactly it. I it's, I completely agree, and that's why I'm specialist. saying it's it's a hard decision because if you know Caulfield's coming up, and let's say like at the let's say he's gonna end up on the second line just for argument's sake. Yeah, what does that do to our lines? Exactly, and then it's like okay, so maybe you do start moving some guys at the deadline to make room for him that you know like you've been maybe either playing over their head or that yeah. you know are It'll expendable. realistically be Toffoli, Kotkaniemi, Caulfield. I think that's probably what it's gonna be. It's very possible. Yeah, I don't see them really. You know, I, I see that Suzuki, Drew, and Anderson. Like, they seem to like that line. Yeah, like, although we know that, like, around, but... if Druin is the one to move, which I feel like he would be the most likely, oh, to have to Caulfield on the left there yeah. is is completely fine by me. Yeah. And so, I don't know, I, I was thinking about that, too, a lot, and I just found, like, I think the offense is what needs to be addressed basically just from a consistency point of view. So, like, we just need people who are going to score every time and yeah. that's the thing like like Toffoli so far has been a surprise but like we said he's like he his season on paper is like a quote-unquote fluke mm -hmm. you know this isn't we didn't just sign like Alexander Ovechkin he's not going to come back next year and get 75 goals yeah exactly it's like he might get more than he did in LA and Vancouver because he just found like good chemistry and a good system that allows him to be that guy but we don't know that for sure and so I just think it's important that we kind of recognize, you know, the defense isn't the issue in terms of, like, why we're losing games. Every time we lose games, it's because we haven't scored. All the overtimes, that wasn't on our defense. That yeah, was like... If, you know, if, even if you look at our left side, I mean, like, it's decent. Yeah. I mean, like, Edmondson, Kulak, Romanov, I mean... It's yeah. not the worst thing in the world, exactly, and like it's just that bottom pair that's really hurting with Mete. Well, that's and it, and that's Malin why I'm thinking and... like maybe you don't even go for an Ekholm. You know, we were looking at John Merrill recently, who yeah. 
is an NHL caliber defenseman. He's making next to no money, and you know he's a big Meryl body. Street. Yeah, and he's a big body. So it's like you know that could be what you know when we first saw it. I kind of cringed at. It. I was like, please no. But then you know what? This guy, he's got he gets around the block and like he knows the game. But maybe that's someone who plays well with Romanov. Yeah, that's why like, I think you you, you kind of cringe because. You know, it's like the Eric Carlson effect. You know, like when when Eric Carlson, when there's rumblings about him coming to Montreal, every other move seemed like just poor shit. Basically. Well, exactly. It's a comparative issue. Yeah, it's a comparative issue. So when we're comparing, you know, like uh, you know Merrill to to Matthias Ekholm. Well, that, mean, that's like, exactly yeah. it. But he might be what we need. I think you're right. But well, I'm just I'm just looking now at the the current trade bait list, right? By like this is just TSN's trade bait list. Ekholm's number one. David Savard's number two, um, Raquel is number three, Hall's number four, Bernie's number five. I'm, I'm looking through and like, you know, there there's not as many game breaker forwards, obviously, and people are not trying to move these guys. But like, for example, Ricard Raquel has uh, 25 points in 30 games versus Taylor Hall, who has 18 in 28. So Ricard Raquel makes, I think, three point seven five mil in anaheim there's another like those oh it's uh 3.79 million you know he he's someone also who can be attractive he plays you know both wings he is a like basically a point producer he's a playmaker obviously but this is just you know another guy who you can bring in and i'm sure the asking price will not be insane because he's on an expiring deal and anaheim is in no position to you know make demands basically so for me it's kind of just like look at one what the market's offering because i don't see many forwards being offered so then you kind of have to jump on one when you see it Mm -hmm. and two like really evaluate your team in terms of like do i really want to bring on let's say like matias at home and then essentially have to trade out for cap and position reasons like a brett kulak He's not insignificant cap wise. No, he's not insignificant, and oh, that that's true. I and I I also mean just like, are you, like is upgrading, which obviously I know it's a massive upgrade, but is is it worth upgrading Matthias Ekholm, um, from you know, is it worth adding Matthias Ekholm to then have to push down Edmonton Sherratt? Yeah. Like, is that is that like a more benefit rather than let's say adding a Taylor Hall or a Raquel that will push down a Druin? Mm-hmm. Where like where's the benefit lie? Yeah, it's anyway, true. That, it's, that that's uh, something you something know you, you, you have, have to really look, think yeah, about. You got to look at that contract because yeah. you know in reality with how little goals against we're having, um, you know what a four mil contract you know like really like how low do we get to get exactly? <laughs> you know what I mean like it, it take off a goal. I mean like most of these games we'd still lose. Right, and and, and, and that's scoring. Enough, that's so. my my stance on it is like I think. You know, like we were at the beginning of the year, a good off, and this is kind of like the new NHL. A good offense is a better defense. Yeah, for sure. You got to stay ahead of the game, and um, you know, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting what we see happen because I, you know, majority of these movements I don't think are gonna happen at the trade deadline because yeah. the quarantine issue. They got to get things moving. So yeah, it'll happen quick. We'll hear soon. Uh, but other than that, I think that's good. basically yeah. Well, it. Uh, yeah. So we'll keep up with the news and you know hopefully we get some games this week and we'll get the gambling picks out if not we're going to come up with a a bunch of uh you know supplementary 
extracurricular style uh, analysis. We have our mid-season report coming too, so uh, keep on the lookout for that. And uh, let us know if you guys have any comments in our Gmail or Instagram, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Habs Puck Drop podcast. You can email us your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through our email at habspuckdrop at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at habspuckdrop. We'll see you next time.